Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Welcome, everybody, to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. I hope everybody had a phenomenal Christmas and a Christmas Eve. And um, we are, uh, <laughs> lots of folks are headed off to Hawaii, probably, to get a little sun maybe before school starts back again. I want to thank everybody that listens, watches, and reads Must Read Alaska. If you want to help keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska, just go to mustreadalaska.com on the right-hand side. There's a little donate button. And if you want to sponsor the show, just email me, John, J-O-H-N, at mustreadalaska.com. And I would love to have you sponsor the show. So without further ado, we have a very special guest today, Bob Stark, who is the author of Warflower, a true story of family service and life in Alaska. Bob, welcome to the Must Read Alaska show. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, I'm very excited that you're uh, that you're coming on the show and that folks will get a kind of a sneak peek behind the curtain of this book you uh, recently wrote. It's a, it's uh, it you know it's getting a lot of great press. Like we just were chatting about earlier today, um, you've had a couple of wonderful articles written about it already. And uh, so, for folks that have never heard of this book, tell us a little bit about the book uh, and why you wrote it. All right. Good questions. So the book was first written, the first draft in 2006, only a couple months after I was discharged from the army. And it was kind of a purge of all the things I'd been through in Iraq as an infantryman, as a child growing up in Alaska and broken home. And it was just something that I put down on paper that took at least two full notebooks. And then by the time I came home, I went to type it up and I couldn't even read it. It was so sloppy and angry. And I later started writing an email to myself that was the same story with a little less finger pointing, a little less anger. <laughs> and so it was really over the past 15 years is when I first started it. And I published it last June. It's been something that like Viktor Frankl says in Man's Search for Meaning, was something that really kept me going during difficult times and gave me purpose. And so it's about my time growing up in Alaska, um, about my time joining up in the military. You know, I parachuted into Iraq and the invasion. And then about my time getting out of the military and that difficult transition. And then it ends on a hopeful note with where I live now with my family off grid in uh on the kenai peninsula so that's awesome so lots of folks have rough childhoods right tell me a little bit yes. about where you grow up where you grew up and you know bring us back to um maybe one or two of those stories that i've that i've um seen from snippets of your book of course yeah my childhood was no more difficult than most i understand that i'm not some special case however so my mother did, I was born in Idaho. My mother was married to a man. They moved down to California and we stayed there for probably about three months until my mother left him. 
And so my mother brought me and my brother from California up to Nome. And we lived in Nome for the first eight or nine years. And so we were living with an uncle at the time. My mother got remarried to a guy who would rather spend time at Shriner meetings and working as a real estate agent, or I mean, as an insurance salesman, than spending any time with the kids. We were just kind of like that old fashioned sense where we were meant to just keep quiet and never bother him. And so, you know, growing up with that idea in mind really left an impact on not wanting to burden anyone. Then my mother ended up getting remarried right about the same time my brother got into different illegal extracurricular activities that left him in prison. So he went to a maximum security prison in Seward. He was sentenced when he was 16, maybe 17, and he was sentenced for seven years there. My mother shortly after got married to a man who was in prison there and still is in prison for life without parole. And so I went from Nome to Eagle River, where my stepfather was transferred because he was in the National Guard. And then right about eighth grade, when I was like the star baseball kid, skateboarding all over Eaglewood subdivision, boom, my mom was like, we're moving to Seward. And that is when I started really getting deeper into alcohol and shame and guilt. And I just basically hid in the alleys in Seward because my stepfather was in prison. My brother was in prison. My mom worked at a little hotel as a receptionist. And we lived in some equal housing opportunity apartments that everybody knew was crackside. So I was very ashamed. And I thought I would get out of that shame cycle by joining the army and getting all this honor and pride. And, you know, my first tour there was a lot of just kicking indoors, man. And I got out of there and I was like, oh, my God, I just terrorized thousands of innocent people. And so it took years for me to realize, you know what? It is what it is. I was doing my job. I'm not going to keep rambling because you asked about the childhood section. But that that's a brief glimpse of what it was like as a kid in Alaska. So what do you think uh, in you maybe flip the switch from, you know, uh, being dealt some difficult cards, going into the army to, um, you know, making a making a uh, strategic move to do something positive like write a book and move your family to uh, subsistence living in Alaska that's quite the coin flip there what what motivated you to do that so the biggest things there was a series of events one was I was living in a yoga house in Guatemala so I pursued yoga and Buddhism and meditation from Guatemala to Nepal and India. And through those, those teachings, I was able to start forgiving myself, forgiving others, forgiving my childhood traumas, if you want to call them that. So much forgiveness that I'd never done. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to use my GI Bill and I'm going to go to college for what I've always wanted to do, which is grow food and write books. And so I pursued a degree at a liberal arts college because I didn't want to take the mathematics. I knew I was going to fail. <laughs> and 
And while there at college, I was even more inspired by the people who were growing food in the area. And I always knew I wanted to come back to Alaska and I always wanted to have a little farm or a little piece of property here. Um, and so, yeah, I decided I'm going to come home after that. And that was in about 2009, 2010. And I'm going to buy a little land with money that I still had saved from the army. And during all that time, I was still struggling, of course, because for me, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, man. And so I was still struggling with those addictions, with those shameful, guilty feelings, but they were less than before. And I started seeking counseling. And so I was seeing a counselor on a regular basis who really convinced me, you know, Bob, I know you don't want to admit it, but you probably have PTSD based on some of the stories you told me. And I was like, no, you're just trying to label me. I know that it's a government conspiracy. And when I really started owning up to that and learning more about what PTSD is, how to manage my life in a way that I'm not constantly in fight or flight mode, and then to get off of drugs and alcohol completely, those were game changers that then led me to buy the property out where I live now. And then it wasn't till five or six years into sobriety that I met my wife because I had so much work to do that I was still, I was a wreck, man, for those first five years. So now I live out here, you know, I've got my two daughters, they're one and three, my wife, dogs, chickens, goats, we're doing the thing. We paid off our property and yeah, it's been a real transformation in my lifetime. So I'm grateful. That's pretty awesome. So, um, you know, there's a lot of um, armed service veterans out there that aren't fortunate enough to have that flip of the coin. As you know, probably you're well aware of there's, you know, I think uh, somebody commits suicide every 22 minutes or seconds. It's a very sad stat. Um, what's your hope with this book? Do you think it is going to give others hope that maybe don't know where to find it. Um, what's your ultimate hope with this book and what it could bring to folks that have maybe went through some similar stuff that you went through? Yeah. So my understanding is the stat is there's 22 veterans who commit suicide every day. There it is. I and that's the correct one. Yeah. And, and definitely my hope initially with my book was to save my own life. And I did that. And now I truly believe I'm thriving. And since putting the book out, I've received dozens of letters, emails, face-to-face -face comments from people whose family members were in the military or who were in the military themselves. And the amount of conversations that this book has sparked so far within families within the veteran community and within treatment centers because I've talked to people in there. And so definitely my hope is for family members who read this, and even if they don't read this, for family members of veterans, especially those who are deployed to war zones and have to go through combat, to be patient and loving of their family members as they transition because it might take 10, 20 years, 30, 50 years for people to transition into what is some sort of normalcy. So to be patient with them, be loving. And for the vets to know that in my experience, I can't speak for everybody. 
but man, clean cut, no drugs and alcohol, man. Cause you know, that those are depressants. And it, unless you're not obviously an alcoholic or an addict, it's not a big deal. But if you know, you got problems with depression, you know, you're isolating, then the worst thing that we can do is just pound ourselves with alcohol and hold away even more. So it's the hope that, you know, we have walked these difficult paths and so many have that they can walk out of it with the right choices. But if we don't make those choices and all we do is live in that victim-based mentality, then yeah, we're going to we're going to keep on being depressed and committing suicide. So yeah, letting them know there's other people out there. There's a lot of folks that have better books than I do that have all kinds of books and, and professionals, you know, seek counseling that there, yeah, there's just so many things that we can do and not to keep rambling for those who receive disability money, you know, it's not a trap, man, just because you're diagnosed with something and the government's giving you a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars to not feel guilty about that. Cause it's easy to go there and to use that money to better your life rather than just to survive. So what, what, uh, where can somebody buy this, these books are going to hear about you maybe for the first time today, when they listen to this podcast or watch this podcast, give us the details of where they can find this book and snag it up. Well, they can find the book on our family's website, which is secretgardenalaska.org. Hopefully they can find the book at their local bookstores, whether it's in Anchorage, Ketchikan, Soldatna, or nationwide. I don't think there's books nationwide, but yeah. And then of course they can buy them on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Now everybody's got to know that if they buy it on, on Barnes and Noble or Amazon, that I'm only making like a dollar and four cents. If you buy it <laughs> yeah, from not, us, not a lot. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was really surprised because, you know, I'm not making millions. I'm not selling millions. But last month I sold, I think it was 79 books through my publisher. And I was like, yes, you know, that's a success. And I get paid like $114. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Man. So if they want to support the author, go through the website. And for some reason, we haven't figured out how to change the shipping. So if you just buy a book, it might say you're going to spend this amount, but we'll rebate the the like five bucks or whatever it is so yeah that's that's where you can get the book and whenever you're done if you buy it and if you read it give it to your friends you know i like that so talk to me a little bit about this um subsistence food uh, aspect of it because it sounds like you have a passion for growing uh, your own food cultivating your own food talk to me a little bit about that yeah, that really started for me when we were driving through the Fertile Crescent. I was riding in the back of a Humvee. We were chasing an Iraqi who had an AK-47. And we were just plowing through this farmer's field. And I remember looking at that farmer and looking at that field and his small house and thinking, that could be such a peaceful life. Like, I was really wanting that peace in my life and that slow steadiness. And so, yeah, it later was reinforced when I went to college, like I said. And I remember my, my teacher was like, hey, 
Bob, will you harvest the flowers for today? And I'm like, me? Like, I'm a combat vet, man. You want me to harvest the flowers? I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. And I'm like, okay, yes, sir. I go out there and I'm harvesting these cut flowers. And all of a sudden, this wave of emotion struck me. There was the smells of the flowers, the sounds of the bees, the waving of the spruce trees, the sounds of my fellow farm workers giggling in the distance. And I just started crying. I dropped my knees right there and I was just weeping. And I didn't know why. Thank God nobody saw me because I would have felt like a chump. But I ended up standing up from that. And it was another one of those moments where I knew I needed to come home and grow food. And so, yeah, well, what we've got going on out here is a slow growing operation that started in 2012 with me and a pick and a shovel planting a little bit of radishes. But now we're at a point where, you know, we're growing, I don't know, hundreds of pounds, at least thousands of pounds of whether it's potatoes, broccoli, an assortment of vegetables. And then we've got a flock of chickens that fluctuate between 30 to 60 for eggs that we sell and get for ourselves. We do meat birds every year that we raise free range and we put those in the freezer. We hunt moose out here and thankfully every couple years we get one. We salmon fish and put those in the freezer. You know, we do an assortment of things that provide for us a little bit of income, which we're hoping to expand because we're not really business minded and some food for friends and family. So we're off grid as well, which can be challenging and can also be very liberating. So that's exciting. So um, do you have any other plans to write another book down the road? What, what are your uh, future goals and aspirations? Yes, I am. I, so part of why Warflower took so long was because it had so much challenging moments that I had to go back in and out of. My counselor calls it exposure therapy or reframing the stories that happen. And so, yeah, during those 15 years of writing Warflower, I, I wrote a couple other books and I'm currently working on one on the third draft of it that was written in 2013. That's kind of a follow up to this one. It's another memoir. And, and I've been just recently sharing it with my wife. And I just, I'm learning all kinds of stuff through all kinds of self-published authors. So I'm starting a Kickstarter. You know, I'm like seeing how to go about making it a profession and getting direct sales to people as an author-reader relationship. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's about buying a motorcycle, going on a long road trip, finding the courage to make changes when you're living in depression about my mother's death. And then it's all about living out here. And so it's broke up just like Warflower has two parts. This next one has four parts, which is broken up from 2013 until today. And so, yeah, man, I'm really excited about it. I've just come up with the title. I'm not going to tell it yet because it might <laughs> change, but, but I'm, I'm excited about it. Thanks for asking. That's awesome. So uh, 20 minutes have gone by in a flash. Any last minute thoughts here before we head off? Um, you know, I'm just doing this because I heard Melissa Cook do it the other day, and I know she's a really 
great self promoter and she's got tons of readers. So I went on Amazon and I saw a review that someone had written and people ask, what's the audience? Well, I've had 14 year old girls read the book. I've had 18 year old young men who were thinking about joining the military, read the book. And I've had a 91 year old grandmother buy it for all of her Christian friends on the East coast, which <laughs> surprised me because there's some vulgar language, you know, it's a war book. And so this person loved to cook on Amazon says a book you won't forget. I don't have words. I'm 86 years old. This book is among the most memorable and emotional books I have read. It comes up in many ways in my thoughts every day. Thank you for sharing your life. And those comments, man, the letters, it's just, it's all been so worth it. And so I hope if anybody out there has a story inside of them to put it on paper and to share it with others. That's awesome. So remind me again, one more time, what's your website, your main website? Our family website is secretgardenalaska.org. That's awesome. where we have a, bl a blog about what we're doing and then some products that we have for sale, including the book. Awesome. So folks, go to secretgardenalaska.org. We'll put the link in the description in the in the podcast so that folks can go there. Uh, go check out the book. Go buy a copy for yourself and a friend. Bob, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the Must Read Alaska show. Um, we wish you nothing but success. You're welcome back anytime. And uh, for folks that listen, watch, and read Must Read Alaska, if you want to help keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska, just go to mustreadalaska.com on the right-hand side. There's a little donate button. Every $5, $10, $100 helps keep the lights on. If you want to sponsor the Must Read Alaska show, just email me, John, J-O-H-N, at mustreadalaska.com. Would love to have folks sponsor the show. And until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere in Alaska. Thanks so much, Bob, for joining us. Thank you, sir.